Welcome to another edition of the Kramer Bros podcast. We're looking forward to this one. This is our first podcast where we are answering a question from one of our listeners. So shout out to all of our listeners. And uh, before we get into our discussion today, I wanted to also give a shout out to everybody that bought our Kramer basketball gear, especially over this past month. As you know, uh, we came out with some cool sweatshirts, our very popular Go Hard uh, t-shirts. And um, today, a lot of people, a lot of t- people bought the t-shirt. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, we're shipping a bunch out this week since we just got them, see, last Friday. Um, and so, Taylor, you, you as an entrepreneur, you sell some things on your website as well. Um, and me running my own business, um, you know, it's kind of side note from our topic, but it means a lot when someone buys something, even if it's like 15 bucks. It does. It, it, means, uh, it means an incredible amount because at least for where I'm at in my business, because of the type of content I'm creating doesn't lend itself to large amounts of money yet. That's the goal. But um, then when I sell items, it's not something that is going directly in my pocket. It's something that I'm using to offset some of the cost of starting the business to begin with. So hosting fees, website fees, people that might be helping me on my website, um, any of the gear that I might need for recording. So I always appreciate when people buy stuff because that is directly impacting my ability to continue to create stuff without going too broke anyway. Yeah. And I think the, the way that I look at it for me is, um, you know, like you said, I'm not making a ton of money when somebody buys a shirt, I'm not selling them at expensive rates or anything like that. It's just the fact that it's like, Whoa, someone wants to buy, a Kramer basketball shirt and they want to rep it. They, they enjoy what we represent when someone buys something from cold shower goods. It's like they're supporting your mission and all the other things that you're doing by buying that product. It's pretty cool. Um, so the question to our topic today from our distant cousin, Nick Fletcher, he's not actually a cousin, but basically the Fletchers are like cousins to us. You know, they're family. All right. Um, And so Nick Fletcher uh, wrote and asked, what were some of the dumbest things your coaches had you do in practice? This is a big can of worms here, especially the interesting part is you, myself and Nick had the same high school coach. Um, And then I also uh, as the assistant coach for one, I was the assistant coach at USA for two years. And one of those years, I was Nick Fletcher's coach. Um, and so then I was also thinking about the dumb stuff that maybe I did. Um, and so there's a lot of things that we can do here. Um, but honestly, most of my memories were not high school. They were in Europe, um, different world, different countries, different cultures. And so the most stories and stuff like that I have from strange practices and experience. Those are all from playing overseas. So I'm excited to kind of get into some different ones, but um, why don't you start us off? Yeah, this was uh, this was an inter- interesting question, like you said, because we all had the same high school coach who is you know, one of the best coaches in the state. And 
I, I didn't play past high school, so I couldn't tell these stories uh, and as anonymously as some other people might be able to because I really only had one coach in high school. Um, I think a lot of the things when I think back and at the time I thought were stupid, but I learned a lot from them. And then as I got older, I, I can kind of see why uh, our high school coach has changed maybe his approach to conditioning and the level of conditioning that he implements, you know, in the beginning of the year and throughout the season. Those are the memories that I have of running and defensive shuffles and whatever crazy conditioning drills you can think. Uh, we did those and we did them a lot. And I didn't realize it wasn't put into perspective for me until I think after high school, I asked another guy at one of our rival high schools, like asked him, how much did you guys run? How much did you condition? And they had a good team. He said that they never ran a single sprint all year. Now that's crazy wow. to me. I think that sprints and, and those things definitely have their place but it depends on the level in which you're implementing them. So when I say that we conditioned, I'm talking, there were some practices after a bad loss where we ran the full two hours. We would get water breaks, but we were just doing different variations of running. So you might do 16s where you're running the, from sideline to sideline 16 times in under a minute, 12s, which would be in 45 seconds, eights, which would be, in 30 seconds and that everybody knows suicides. So the ones where you're running free throw line back, half court back, opposite free throw line back, full court back, we would do those. And it was pretty typical just as a normal ending to our practice. Not even when we had a bad practice was we were going to do close to 10 suicides just as an ending. And we would start with suicides at the beginning of practice as well. And then we might have them sprinkled in, Throughout practice, too, if someone had a dumb turnover, then we might be going and, and doing those suicides. Um, I'll, I'll share more specifically maybe some stories as we go, because I know that you probably have a few more because you played longer than I did. But um, just the level of conditioning. And like I said, I saw the value in it in a sense that we were never really out-toughed on the court. We never got tired in an actual game. But now I can see that there, there can be some value to maybe not conditioning in quite that way or for that long, and you'll still see benefits. Yeah, I think um, that's maybe one change that I've noticed. You know, every year we go back and we sit in on some practices with Coach Gainforth, and Coach Gainforth is, uh, man, he's Hall of Fame. Like, how do I say it? He's Hall of Fame. He's literally a basketball genius. Um, and I think I didn't quite realize that as much until I got out of high school, was playing college, um, was talking with other coaches and with other players about their high school basketball experience. And then looking back, um, I was like, wow, my coach knew a heck of a lot more than your coach knew. Um, and, it, and even today, you can talk with Coach Gainforth about college basketball, NBA basketball, high school basketball. He loves basketball. And um, he loves it more than I think most high school basketball coaches love love basketball, and that's part of why he's so he's so intelligent, smart about it. And Coach Bone as well, our assistant coach. Um, but that's one thing I noticed that again, I, 
dumb. I wouldn't say like Nick asked the question, dumb, dumb. I wouldn't say dumb. I, I, but I do think that they don't run as many sprints as they used to. When I go back to the practices, um, cause we ran a ton of sprints there when we were in high school as well. But honestly, like looking back, like it, you don't want to run sprints, but it built not just a physical toughness and great condition, but the most important thing that it built was mental toughness. Because when you're in a tough game and things aren't going well, there's a point where it could kind of go either way. And you remember all the stuff that you didn't practice that you didn't want to do and you did it anyway. That gives you almost a second win where you're like, there's no way I'm laying down. There's no way I'm giving up. We're winning this game because I went through all this stuff and we're winning. And um, I think that was a really beneficial byproduct of the hard conditioning that, that we did. And um, I know Nick, who I coached for a year, you know, I'm, I'm very certain they thought I was crazy when I was coaching my screw loose. Because when I joined Coach Bowen and Coach Gameforth, Coach Bowen, as you know, pretty much does all the defense stuff for USA. Coach Gameforth pretty much does all the offensive stuff. And then Coach Gameforth kind of builds the idea for how we want everything to go as a team. And so when I joined the, the program, he was kind of like, all right, Steve, I want you to focus on like all of our guard skills, a lot of our shooting skills. And then I want you to also be our conditioning guy for practice. So I was like, all right, cool. Now I was fresh out of playing basketball in Europe. So the conditioning we did, the running, the, the workouts, everything was just, it's at a higher level because it's a higher level. Um, and so we basically took from what we did coming up, which was a lot of different variations of running. Well, instead what I had all those guys doing was we're doing explosions, backboard taps to back pedals to defensive slides, zigzags into a closeout. Um, so we were doing all different types of basketball movements throughout the same drill. And it was tough. It was really, really tough. And, and I'd love to hear every time I talk with Nick about some of the practices where it was like, all right, we're doing different variations of basketball conditioning for 10 minutes. I mean, those guys were we're not enjoying the process, but I will say this, we won 15 games that year. And I think we had five out of those 15 games were come from behind fourth quarter wins. And there was a point through the second half of the season where we might be down five going into the fourth quarter and those guys would come in and we would just kind of remind them like, guys, look, you're not even breathing hard look over at them and their hands are on their knees. They're gasping for air. And our guys were like, we can play a whole nother game after this. We're going to be the same. And we would come back to win. Uh, we had a big comeback win against Reese who ended up winning the league by one. We had um, a big comeback win against Marlette who had uh, Brad Shaw, who was the thumb player of the year, division one player, ended up uh, playing for Northwood for a while. Um, and so the, the conditioning, that I know Nick didn't enjoy and he probably thought was very dumb. It worked. It worked. And we were a half court buzzer beating shot away from winning the league title that year. Um, and we were picked to finish like fifth out of six teams in, in the conference. Um, so 
I think there's definitely a method to some of the, the madness conditioning wise. Um, but what I would say before I get too off topic is with my college practices, man, they were, they were pretty easy compared to my high school practices, just because we didn't do as much like hardcore sprinting. When I was in college, um, we would do variations of sprints. We did a lot of re resistance band work. Um, and then you throw in some weightlifting. And so there was much more of a variety. Um, there was kind of a lower intensity, which, which at times makes sense in season because, you know, especially college ball, it's longer than high school basketball. So um, it's a marathon, not a, not a sprint. Um, so from that standpoint, it was easier college-wise than it was high school. Um, and it was there that I learned from talking with a lot of my teammates who said like they didn't hardly run sprints, uh, that we basically did a lot more work than they did when we were in high school, but it paid off because the teams there were so successful. And I think, um, one thing that coach Gainforth and coach bone had was a high standard. They held you to a really, really high standard. Um, whereas when I see maybe other high school basketball players do certain things. I can tell that from some way, shape or form, maybe they haven't been held to the standard that you and I were as not just individuals, but as teammates where coach Gainforth or coach Bohm would just stop practice and break down the spacing and the situations on why, when you would drive this gap here, why you would want to kick it over to the corner and the rotations that all the defenders are going to do. And that's going to do this. And this is why you want to do that instead of another coach who may know that, but they're just like, ah, I wish he kind of didn't do that, but I'm not going to blow the whistle and I'm not going to explain like he would explain. And so it made you smarter. Um, it also made you more disciplined in how you play. One interesting thing that again, we did this in college a ton. We did this in high school, not dumb, um, but like the three-man weave, when I went overseas, we never did a three-man weave. Like you think of the three-man weave in the U.S., everybody knows the three-man weave is, right? Um, but when we were playing overseas, all of our like two-on-o, three-on-o, five-on-o warm-ups went directly in to a transition break, a fast break situation. So, I mean, you do the three-man weave, it's fine. It's not like, you know, you're dumb for, for using it. But one thing I thought was different was when we were going overseas, instead of going three-on-o or three-man weave, like think about a three-man weave. You pass it and then you run behind the person you pass it to. Mm -hmm. That's not game situation, right? Right. And so uh, our coach might be like, all right, you're going to pass it up the sideline. Sideline man's going to bring it up, opposite wing. You're going to basket cut post, hit it post, and then kick it opposite wing, shoot a three. And then the next one would be like, all right, you're going to get it to the wing. Wing's going to uh, drive, hit opposite post, uh, kick it opposite wing, and then come up and set a ball screen. Ball screen, hit the roll man, score. And it would just build off of a situation that could be the exact same thing that you would do in a game. Um, and your warm-up is, is just the same, except you're practicing more so basketball skills while you're getting your warm-up in. Hello, did you uh, ever pick anything up from that as far as any conversations you had with other people? Um, I mean, 
we did we did some uh, drills like that that had a lot of you know in game situations that were also you know doubling as conditioning. So I know we would typically transition from sprints, which is the only purpose of that is I mean I guess you could say building some speed, but um, and change of direction depending on what type of sprints it is. But it's conditioning; it's to to get those lungs prepared for a long game. And we would do some of those drills. Like my favorite was always, I think it was called Oklahoma. So you'd have, is that right? You'd have the um, two lines on each sideline and then it would be a three on two situation. So whoever would get the rebound, actually the defense would then come out with those two guys on the sideline and be like a semi fast break three on two situation. And I really enjoyed that drill because you would oftentimes end up with you know, a couple of different people handling the ball that maybe normally wouldn't just because the lines are getting shuffled up and different things like that. So I think that was really um, a valuable drill. And then things like the three-man weave, you know, we might do it kind of as a warm-up, um, but didn't really do a whole lot of that in high school. It just seemed like we would condition. And we would do a lot of defensive drills that was also conditioning. Um and then get into the on-game, in-game situations, running through plays, running through sets. And maybe it, maybe it came out even. I mean, we would spend some practices, we would spend two hours sprinting, and then other ones we might just sprint in the beginning and the end. And the middle was, you know, if there was concerns that Coach Gainforth had about the way our offense was going, he, sometimes he would just tell Bone, he'd be like, man, our defense is looking pretty good, but our offense isn't. I'm really going to work on some of our sets with these guys. And it would go through – uh, very, very detailed about, you know, like you said, not cutting any corners. He's always blowing the whistle. So there might be three, four, five, six possessions in a row where only after only two passes, he's blowing the whistle and, and having you guys set it up again. And so uh, that kind of stuff was frustrating at the time as a player. It's natural to kind of want to cut some of those corners, but I definitely saw the value in it. And the only reason I would bring up any of these as, you know, like you said, Nick worded it or asked, dumb stuff. The only reason I would say dumb is because we've had little brothers who saw great success too on the same, with the same coach. Um, and they didn't do the level of conditioning. I know Micah didn't, uh, he lost two games his last two years combined. Um, and so was there just that, uh, evolution that took place with the coaching of, you know, we've found, uh, strategies and ways that we don't need to just dedicate pure conditioning into our practices. We can find it in other ways through scrimmaging or whatever it might be. So that's the only, only reason I would even say that it was dumb. It definitely had its, had its value. Like you stated, we weren't really ever tired during the game. Like there was never a point that I can remember except maybe against some teams who were pressing the whole game where you would, you would just feel tired. It was always more of looking at the clock and saying, oh, we got two minutes till halftime. Like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I thought I was tired, but I'm definitely good. We got two minutes. Um, so just the the mental toughness that it built, too. Like, you're exactly right. I remember always looking at the other guys, other team in their timeouts and seeing how how tired they were. And we never really had that problem. I mean, some of the guys on our team that should have been least conditioned were – in better condition than any of the guys on the other teams. Like I'm talking our big centers and things like that. Like they didn't get tired either. Yeah. I, I'm, 
I'm pro conditioning, to be honest with you. Um, even if you may not need a ton of it, I'm still encouraged some conditioning throughout the season because of the mental toughness aspect that it builds. And I think that um, any time on a daily basis that you can do things that you don't feel like doing, but you know that there's a positive to it down the road, you should do it anyway. Like I do lunges every day. I don't do them because I enjoy them. I do them because I know the benefits of them. And maybe or maybe you don't need to run sprints every day in practice, right? But um, were we doing it to the extent that guys were getting injured and all this crazy stuff? No. So, I mean, it clearly wasn't like it was, it was too much. We were in better shape than everybody else. And I think some of it has to do with the style of play that each team played. You know, my high school teams played the exact opposite of Micah's team. Like Micah's team was in your face, full court pressing. My teams were really big, but not as fast. And so I think it was important for us to run more, to be in good shape because we were playing teams that had, you know, less size, but they had more speed. And so we had to continue to, to work on that speed aspect because it wasn't necessarily a part of our defense or our style of play. Um, so we had to be prepared for both. And so I think that definitely, definitely helped. Um, <clears throat> I do have, uh, I did play in Slovakia for a year. Okay. And uh, what an experience that was. And some of the best advice I ever got was from a teammate that I had named Jerome Gums. Jerome Gums played for the University of San Francisco, Division One basketball player. He was a Jamaican-American, and he was on my team for the Slovakian team. He actually ended up, unfortunately, getting fired from the team, as many players did. But before he got fired, we had a practice. And we had a practice where – you know, you got to think we're going, I would say at least, let's see, you say, let's say you had a game on a Saturday, maybe you had one day off, so say you had Sunday off, two practices, basically we had two practices every day, All right? So 10 practices and then weightlifting on top of it. So your, your exercise, the amount of calories you're burning every day is off the charts. So we're on our second practice one evening and we're running um, ladders or suicides, whatever you want to call them. And we're running them and we're running them and we're running. So I'm trying to win. And so I'm winning or coming close to winning every race. And he was doing it. So like you, you'll run and the team, the teams are split in two groups. So you would run the sprint. And then as soon as you finish, the next group takes off, they run. So you're resting while they're going. And we were in the same group. So he comes up and he's like, he's like, dude, you shouldn't be going so hard. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean I shouldn't be, shouldn't be going so hard? And uh, he said a really wise thing. He's like, he's basically like, they don't care about you. And as soon as you get hurt or something happens, they're going to get rid of you. He's like, your, your body your body is your business. And so if you don't take care of your body, you got no business. You got no job, basically, is what he was saying. And so he was like, you need to put your body first 
and not basically the team first as far as the stuff our coach wanted us to do. And he was 100% right in, in that situation specifically. I'm not saying he, he would write, be right translating to my high school career, but for that specific team, he was 100% on the money because no athlete knows their body as well as they do. You know, you got injuries or nagging injuries or bumps and bruises. And there's times where you shouldn't be uh, doing a certain thing or going full speed, but somebody else is like, Hey, you got to do this. You got to do this. And it's actually not in your best interest. And um, if you fast forward that basketball season, we had two guys tear their ACL. We had a third player, I believe tear their MCL. And that was the most beat up I had personally ever been in by the end of a basketball season. I felt like my body was just, I felt like skin and bones, basically. Like they had literally run our entire team into the ground. And some guys' bodies did literally give out. And the rest of us that didn't get an injury were just dragging by the end of the season. And I was like, man, that's exactly what he was talking about. Because if you're not careful, somebody who doesn't know exactly what they're doing, they could hurt you. They could, they could take away your career in, in a certain way. And those two guys that got hurt, I mean, that was our other starting point guard. He was on the Slovakian national team. He reminded me a little bit of Steve Nash. And then the other guy was our small forward. He was also on the Slovakian national team. He was about six, 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 seven, with about a seven-foot wingspan. One of the best players I've ever seen in my entire life. Like just, and he was like 35. Well, I was like 24. And he was still out there like dunking, getting buckets. Like it was just crazy. Um, but his body wore down towards ACL. And um, that was some of the worst coaching. That was the worst coaching I've ever had. Um, and then to really exemplify what I'm talking about the last week of the basketball season, the weather was starting to get warmer outside. And so we go, I was playing in Bratislava. It's the biggest, the biggest city in Slovakia, the capital. And they had a big downtown and in the middle of their downtown, they had a lake, a pretty big lake. And so people would go there to hang out, to have a good time. There was like a restaurant looking over the lake. And so we went there for practice And our practice, instead of being in the gym, shooting and whatever, our practice was run. (laughs) And so we ran around this lake for a total of what I asked how the distance was I put together. So we ran a total of just over five miles running around the lake. Okay. Not a 5K, five miles. Then we did sprints and agility work after and that was our basketball practice mind you this was this wasn't preseason. this wasn't a month before the first game this was the last week of the season we had like a game in two days and we were doing that and uh that was when i knew i'm not going back to play for this team <laughs> and they they even though they got a new coach they, they offered me a contract to go back and play there, I think, six years. For the next six years, I got a contract offer to play over there. Um, 
obviously I never took him up on any of those offers. Um, and maybe subconsciously that was one of the reasons because that was some of the most, um, physical, physically demanding coaching I've ever had to the point where my body was literally breaking down. And I knew if I went back and did another season like that, I was just going to get, I was going to get severely injured and my basketball career might be over. Yeah, man, there's uh, definitely some coaches that if they're, if they're lacking in the other areas, so, you know, IQ in terms of game IQ, in-game situations, play calling, whatever schematically, then I think sometimes you'll see them lean more heavily on conditioning and be like, well, at least I can control this. At least I know that I can, can uh, get these guys hurting. And it's like that with personal trainers too. It's like, just because you go in and you can give your client 10 sets of 25 on an exercise and they're super sore the next day, that doesn't make necessarily make you a good trainer. Um, you have to figure out ways to improve their performance smartly without having their body break down on them. And so that would be, you know, my only major issue with really high levels of conditioning is if it's actually, like you said, injuring people, because when people get tired, then they might start to rely on muscles that aren't as developed, or they might start moving in a way that they don't normally move overcompensating. And then that's when those ACL tears happen. You see it all the time in the NBA, long seasons, a guy might have, you know, a sore ankle, uh, some issue with his hip. And then when he's compensating, overcompensating and moving in a way that he didn't normally, then maybe that blows a knee or something like that. And so those are, those are the things you have to look out for. I don't ever feel like we conditioned to that level. I think there was a method to the madness. Um, but I'm just thinking back, man, the crazy, the crazy running that we did, the stories. I mean, we're talking Bits, who's going to probably listen to this podcast, he used to puke every Monday practice. And I, I understand that he did that. Well, he, he, had a, he had a light stomach. He had a light stomach. And after one practice, he's throwing up, you know, in the, in the trash. And Coach Bone comes up and he's like, Taylor, I know Bits is like one of your best friends. He's like, you got to keep him around on the weekends, dude. I don't know if he's sneaking away, like drinking or what he's – what he's doing. I was like, no, we're together every weekend. He drinks root beer and we play ping pong. That is it. And <laughs> so it was just like, dude, it was just the conditioning, man. We weren't going out and drinking beers, which if you are in high school, you got to stop that. You got to value the team and uh, your schooling. Do not just don't be doing that stuff on the weekends. It's so stupid. We had guys on our team that were doing those things and it really did um, set us back in some ways. But that wasn't the case. We were just conditioning so much. In one practice, after a really bad loss, where we really didn't play as hard as we should have, we had one of these practices that was pure conditioning, like the balls never came out of, out of the uh, equipment room. And the next day, one less guy showed up to practice. And he straight up said, he's like, dude, I, I quit. And this was three quarters of the way through the season. And this was a guy who was like our sixth or seventh man. He was getting a lot of minutes. 
And it wasn't worth it to him anymore because we had this level of conditioning. And um, it was just so funny because, you know, we ended up having a really strong playoff run. And I think a lot of it was that resolve that we had from, you know, having to come together as a group and get through these conditioning drills. Um, But we had one 6 a.m. practice. And I remember driving through town, heading to the school. It was dark out. And there's that guy that quit the team and he's got his ice fishing gear loaded up and he's, um, <laughs> he's getting gas at the gas station. So he, uh, he traded in sneakers for ice fishing gear and was getting in a couple hours of fishing before school that day. Hey, it's not for everybody. It's not oh. for everybody. That's okay. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the way it go. You know, people quit the team all the time. On, I mean, it, Maybe it's conditioning. Chances are they just didn't like basketball that much and kind of were looking for a reason not to be on the team. Um, That happens at basically every level. Um, But the the interesting thing to, to piggyback on what you were saying was players and coaches need to have a good idea of what their teams can handle um, and make sure they're not pushing the envelope too much. Um, you know, I look back on when I was coaching and doing the conditioning with Nick's team who asked this, this question, you know, if I could do it all over again, yeah, I would do a little less conditioning with those guys. Um, at the same time, five fourth quarter come from behind victories. I think we were picked to finish second to last place in the league. Bad X that year, we had a loose ball. I think we were up two. There was a loose ball, a half court kid picked it up, did like a turnaround half court shot and made it at the buzzer. Otherwise we would have tied Reese for a league title. Like there was, it, it clearly didn't hurt us that we did, that we were in phenomenal shape basically. Um, in fact, I think the mental toughness that it built was even more important than the physical side. And that's a reason why we were able to, to win some games that talent wise, maybe we shouldn't have, have won uh, no offense to Nick and uh, and his brother Kyle um, but besides that um, you just have to you just have to decide where you want to where you want to go what you want to do understand your your body and I feel really blessed I feel really blessed that like for the most part um, I've had great coaches from high school all the way to pro my last two years, I played for a Croatian coach named Nenad Jasapovic. He was a Croatian national team player back in the day. Um, he was the, the best coach I've ever played for. Um, I could go on and on singing his praises. At the same time, we did a ton of conditioning those two years with him. And we would usually have, um, if we had a Saturday game, we'd have Sunday off we'd have a morning conditioning practice and then um, Monday night would be like a regular practice. And then Tuesday morning we would come back and have another, like maybe it was like an hour conditioning and then another hour of like basketball. And those first two days coming back were tough. And I swear he might've just been making up the conditioning drills as we had practice, but we were jumping over, like little seated benches. Then we were uh, like closing out to the three point line and then doing slides along the three point arc and then running up to the basket and doing like explosions, like backboard taps 
and then repeating and, and doing it again. We get these giant mats that were like 10 by five foot that were not used for basketball. I don't know why we, we just got them out of the gym. And then we'd have to do these like gigantic, um, like sprint and close out the sideline of the 10 foot part and then defensive slide to the other end and then sprint down the other side. And we did a bunch of stuff like that throughout the year. Um, we also went and ran like in the mountains. Um, in fact, one funny story is, um, for conditioning at the beginning of the season, we went and ran in in the mountains and our team was running together through this trail. And we had Theo shout out to my guy, Theo, uh, who played for Georgia tech and he had signed with the team a little late. And so he was a little more out of shape than the rest of us. And he had to just jump in and, and, and hang. And so we're running in the, in the forest up and down these, not mountains, but we're, we're back in the, the forest and we're running up and down these hills and, and all this stuff. And so it's very hard to see if you are way in front or way behind because there's all these hills and these trees. And so we're, we're running, we're running, we're running. And we get to a, a stop and we look back and we're like, where's Theo? And he, he was just gone. We lost him. He was so far back behind. And so we sent our rookie. We are like, we're not running all the way back. You got to go and find him. Right. And so we made him, we made him run the trail like all the way back. And sure enough, there was Theo um, gasping, gasping for air. And we had, to, we had to bring him all the way back. And same thing with some, like those were some crazy workouts running up and down these mountainous hills and stuff like that. We're getting more and not like dumb stuff, like just hard, hard yeah. practices, which is what it was. Like it was, it was phenomenal. Like we were in phenomenal shape uh, because of the stuff he had us doing. And um, then we do some track workouts and it would be the same. Like, I can't remember what the series was. I'm going to have to think about it. Maybe uh, another podcast mentioned it, but the hardest workout I think I ever had to do was a track workout that coach Jasopovich uh, had us doing um, where it was a certain distance sprint, certain distance jog, and you just like kept doing it. And um, yeah, guys were like borderline, borderline dying, um, just hanging in, hanging in. And it became a, a thing of mental toughness where I remember doing the workout and my body was starting to tell my mind, dude, you can't do this anymore. Like, put it down. It's time to stop. Start walking, fall down, lay down. You're, you cannot run another step. And I remember looking, and some of my teammates were doing that, so they were done. So I'm looking at them. I was like, well, they stopped. Now I'm looking at some of my other teammates who are still going, and I just remember telling myself, like, they're not tougher than me. If they can do it, I can do it. You know, right. like no matter how much this sucks, and nothing, nothing different about them than me as far as being able to just tough it out and get through it. And mm -hmm. um, so that's that was kind of my mindset during some of those uh, most difficult workouts that I've ever been a part of. Um, but Nick, I apologize. I probably would have scaled it back a little bit, not not much, but a little bit. Some of those. Uh, after practice conditioning sessions we had. Um, 
Yeah, it's really funny when you talk about your mindset as you see some teammates who are actually like stumbling and then other ones that are still going. I remember there were practices where, you know, when we're just doing the conditioning and if if the coach doesn't tell you ahead of time, like, hey, we're going to do five suicides as long as everybody makes it in time, then we'll move on to free throws or something. When they don't do that, you're like trying to play that game with them of, all right, are they looking for us to just run as hard as we can? And then once we do that, they'll stop. Or are they just going to have us run for the next 20 minutes? You know, what's it going to be? And so those practices where all of a sudden it became clear, like they're not blowing the whistle. They just want us to run. I remember just thinking, all right, if I run harder, maybe I'll pass out (laughs) and they can't make me run if I pass out. And it was, there was three, four times throughout my high school career where it was like that. It was like, no, I'm actually going to try to reach such exhaustion that either A, my legs won't work or I'll pass out. Uh, Never happened. But there were definitely practices where we were were stumbling because our legs were so heavy. Um, I was laughing earlier because I remember one drill that we pulled out for conditioning, which was, you know, the tip drill, like teams will do it sometimes for a warm-up or a game. We did that except full court version. And when you only have 12 to 15 guys on your team, you're going and you're tipping it at each each basket and then having to sprint after you tip it to the other basket. And when we did you those in college, did you do it in college? Yep. So when you start out, they, they might set the timer and say, let's try to do this for seven minutes or 10 minutes without dropping a ball. And it starts out kind of easy. Like, yeah, you're having to move pretty quick to get to the next ball, but you know, there's 12, 15 guys. So there's sometimes a lineup. When, when you're getting and you've gone as hard as you can for five, seven, eight minutes, then all of a sudden you're yelling to the guy ahead of you, whip it off the backboard as hard as you can uh, because you could not drop the ball. If you drop the ball, the timer resets. Right. And so I remember just sprinting as hard as I can and just saying, whip it. And they would, when that person would go up and get the tip, they would just throw it off the backboard as hard as they could. And sometimes you're tipping it. You're so tired you're tipping it from the three-point line back onto the backboard. And, um, it takes some skill. So it's so funny, man, because you gotta. there's only a couple rules. One, you don't drop the ball. And two, you have to be in the air so it counts as a tip. And so, yeah, we, we would sometimes end up doing the tip drill full court, and then we would go for so long that you end up um, jumping and catching the ball from the three-point line and throwing it off as hard as you can. Yeah, I mean, those are good times. Those are good memories looking back. And, and again, a lot of times in life, and basketball is no different, you look back at some of the things that were really tough and you enjoy that part the most. Oh, yeah. And I think we talked about it on a previous podcast where, like, when you're talking about your high school basketball career, a lot of times it's not about what your record was and you're not talking about a – like, you might – you're still talking about that stuff – but a lot of times you're talking about, man, remember this challenge that we went through and we got through it together. And, um, you know, you built some friendships and some bonds because you go through some, some struggle and those are, uh, really cool. And then anytime that you're challenged physically or in any other way, um, you learn a lot about yourself and what you're made of, you know, on, on the back of the t-shirts that I just had printed, I put 
uh, it doesn't get easier. You just get better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think of um, as a basketball player, um, if I'm really working hard, training myself, um, the level is always going up. Like the, the standard is always going up as far as the level required. I'm going to keep getting better. I'm going to keep getting better, but that process doesn't get easier. Um, and sometimes the better you get, the harder it gets. Right. And so, um, it doesn't get easier, but you can still look back and say, boy, I'm getting better because I'm continuing to challenge myself regardless of how good I'm getting. And that right there is a great feeling to have as, as an athlete, as a, as a businessman, as a, a family member, a father, husband, you know, whatever it might be. For sure. It's uh yeah, it doesn't get easier. You get better. And then the better you are, the more able you, you more able you are to withstand whatever new challenges are. Cause you're taking on tougher stuff. You're, you're prepped for it. Um, and I, I think that that's really important, whether you're a coach or you're a player is to just remind yourself of how important it is to have a strong connection with one another. So with your teammates and with the coaches, our coaches had us do some crazy conditioning stuff, but we also knew our coach was the best coach in the league. And when it came time to get between those lines for an actual game that we didn't want or need any other different coach. And right. he, he, we built up enough equity with him too, where you he's trust like, him. yeah, he's like, Oh, these are the dudes that ran for two hours and didn't quit on me. So I, I trust these guys. Mm-hmm. And that's uh-huh. super important. Um, also, I, I know we've gone a little longer than planned, but I wonder if we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the John Beeline firing, because I think it kind of falls in this category um, where you, I don't know if it was conditioning, but you had a guy who was requesting some things from his players that they felt like they were above. And I know there were some things in there too about, you know, did he call them thugs or did he call them slugs? How that plays into the firing, I don't know, but for sure, he was asking players to do things that they didn't think were important enough. Like, what do you think about that whole situation? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to really comment on the thugs and slugs and, and, and that whole aspect, just because, you know, we weren't there. We don't know kind of some of the day-to-day stuff. Um, but what I do see is one of the best coaches in the college game go to the NBA ranks and things don't work out. And, you know, that's where, okay, now the players are making more than the coach. The players have been there for a long time. You've had a coach who's had great success at every level, but he hasn't coached NBA before. And I think that if you have the leadership in the locker room, like in the NBA, let's be honest, regardless of, if it's a championship NBA team or the bottom NBA team, the leadership is going to come from the players. The leadership's come from the players, not the coach. And so that whole situation, I feel like tells me more about maybe the players than it does about John Beeline. I don't think any differently of John Beeline after what happened with the Cavs. I, I think he's still one of the best coaches and best basketball, basketball minds out there. Um, but I think it's as a team and as a leader, players need to be willing to, to change 
to see that, man, this dude's had great success everywhere he's gone. I'm going to give him the benefit of, of the doubt and trust him that he knows what he's talking about. The guy's a basketball genius, and it wasn't like he wasn't producing NBA players. In fact, Michigan was producing NBA players that when they came to Michigan weren't supposed to be NBA players. Nobody was calling guys that played for Michigan. We wasn't getting the Kentucky and Duke one and dones. Everybody knew it was an NBA player. They just had to go to college for a year. He was making guys pros, right? Um, And so I guess that was the disappointing thing for me is to see that, um, you know, on any good team, there's player leadership. And on any good team, there's a level of trust. And um, that clearly wasn't there within the Cavaliers program. Um, But from what I've heard, that's like not a great program that you want to be, you know, they're not known for their success, right? Um, So maybe you could kind of see it coming. Whereas if Beeline went to a place like the Miami Heat, who's known for already having a great culture in place, maybe he succeeds and does great things, great things there. so it comes down to being able to trust your teammates, trust your coaches. Um, you know, you and I, like we had the trust in coach Gainforth and coach bone that they knew the game. They had strategy in place. When a certain situation came up, they were already prepared for it. They knew how to handle it. Um, that they were doing their best to prepare us in practice for whatever might come in a game. And they could trust us saying, man, we made these guys in practice do some really tough stuff and they, they still did. So now we can trust them to be in a tough situation in a game. It goes hand in hand, regardless of the level of basketball or sports that you're in. No doubt. And yeah, I feel for beeline again, we're not going to necessarily comment on what he may or may not have said to the players, but when you're talking about uh, the organization and the structure that is in place, for a team like the Cavs, it's not the strongest. And I I really wish that he would have had players that were more receptive to his style because, yeah, man, he was a success at every level. Uh, and I honestly think he's more of a more of a centerpiece than a lot of the players they have on their team. I mean, um, that was what was disappointing is you have these guys who, outside of Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, you know, they found success playing alongside LeBron, things like that. Um, no one has proven anything and then you can just you know we're at the point in NBA where like you said the leadership falls to the players and if they can have that trust with their coaches then all the better Um, but that wasn't the case and so then you have these guys that haven't really done a whole lot in the NBA and they're getting to call the shots against you know someone as talented as coach Beeline so I don't know I'm curious to see what happens I don't know that he would get another NBA job but I think if he walks back into the college game next year like, I don't know if a Texas job would open up or something like that. Like he's walking into, into back into the college game and he's the top five coach in, in college again, right away. Yeah. If he does decide to get back into coaching, I know he's going to do, going to do really well. And uh, that's all for our podcast today. So, so Nick, I hope we, we answered your question. You know, the, the moral of the story is in the last week of the season, don't run five miles, do a bunch of sprints, a bunch of agility stuff. It's probably not good for your players. Other than that, I look forward to talking some more NBA, college basketball, all that good stuff as we continue to go throughout a very exciting point 
in the basketball year. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining me. Hope you guys enjoyed. And if you have any additional questions, you can shoot them to us on social media. I will link to all that stuff in the show notes. Peace. Peace.